0: Welcome to the Digiday podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm the senior media editor at Digiday.
1: And I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday.
0: So Kaylee, you had the interview this week and you spoke with Charlotte Owen, who is the editor-in-chief of Bustle, Bustle UK, and Elite Daily. So Charlotte wears a bunch of hats.
1: Yeah, and she just added Elite Daily to her purview uh, about a month ago when we recorded this. So it's a newer edition, but I asked her kind of what the difference was between the audience there because it feels like... You know, as part of the the lifestyle, uh, you know, category at Bustle, it felt like there could be a lot of overlap potentially. But the way she kind of sees it is, Elite Daily is for maybe that like teenager to twenty five range, and then Bustle is from that like twenty five and up kind of uh, audience of the same. Demographic. So it's just a different life stage, as she kind of puts it. And so I was asking about, you know, what does that mean from the content standpoint? If there's a lot of, um, you know, crossover for articles, if it's, you know, sharing content and things of that nature. But she talks a lot about how it kind of changes the editorial approach because, you know, while there might be interest, you know, between each brand from the audience perspective, the way that you ask the questions or the way that you frame, you know, interviews and things like that changes completely, at least in her mind. And that's kind of how she's approaching her um, oversight of these three publications.
0: And then Elite Daily. I mean, Elite Daily was part of that crop of publications that got a lot of attention, I don't know, five, six years ago. They were kind of like the social heirs to a demand media where, Um, You know, they did a really good job of getting traffic through Facebook. Um, Not a bunch of those publications are still around. Elite Daily obviously still is, was acquired by BDG. How is Elite Daily different or to what extent is Elite Daily different today than it was back in kind of the heyday of social publishing.
1: Right, so I actually asked about that uh, in the interview kind of earlier on, because I remember Elite Daily from my college days being a very, one of the more popular sites, I'd say, that would circulate on platforms like Facebook. And I asked if, you know, their strategy is to more so focus on TikTok, if, you know, a social presence is really important, especially for reaching that same kind of audience of maybe college-age students, for example. Um, And she says, in the interview that while social media strategy is important, it's really about kind of extending the story onto Elite Daily's website. So picking up themes or trends that are being talked about on TikTok, something like mental health or, um, you know, different kinds of trends to a degree, bringing those conversations and onto the website and kind of further digesting them. So I asked if, if they're doing a lot more kind of social strategy, like to... I guess, bring people in that way. And to a degree, they are. But I think what she gets at is that it's about extending the story and hoping to get people to the website to uh, add more to what you would see in like a, a three minute, maybe TikTok video. Um, so she gets into that. And then, you know, they're also uh, trying to increase the. I don't want to say quality of the content, but maybe doing more profiles and trying to talk to more celebrities, which is a strategy that uh, a few of the BDG brands have been doing lately.
0: Awesome. Looking forward to hearing more in the conversation. Thanks, Kelly.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tim. Hey, Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I know some exciting news. You just recently took on the role of editor-in-chief of Elite Daily in addition to Bustle and Bustle UK. So that's now, you know, three or perhaps two and a half, depending on how bustles run, I guess, internationally as well. But that's like three brands that you're now overseeing, which is a lot, in my opinion. Um I guess, yeah, why why was Elite Daily a brand that you were excited to add into your oversight?
2: Um, I think what's especially exciting, there's a couple of things. So the first I would say is um, Elite Daily is our sort of like prime Gen Z brand. And it's really exciting as... Um, Uh, Like a millennial, really, to kind of learn from that audience and help sort of cater to that audience and think about um, their experience. It's a kind of different challenge to Bustle, which feels much more sort of naturally to my, I mean, I'm a millennial, like it, it feels much more like what me and my friends are talking about. Um, and Elite Daily is really forcing me to kind of step outside of that, which is a really exciting challenge. But I think the unifying thread is that we think of Bustle and Elite Daily as the kind of similar reader, but at different phases in their life. Um, if Bustle's reader is 25 to 40, Elite Daily is, you know, a teenager through to kind of 25, um. And so actually we're dealing with someone with similar values and similar sort of interests, but they are at that different point in their life and sort of have different challenges. And also, you know, the, the sort of there's been much research done on the sort of Gen Z millennial differences, and there are some differences in attitude as well, um, which I think offers some really exciting kind of content areas for us to explore.
1: Yeah, so I remember Elite Daily being, a, a, to your point, a site that I... My friends and I really focused uh, our attention to in college. Like it was a a big like, uh, I guess a big site that was popped up on our like Facebook pages, and uh, we kind of would forward each other articles from Elite Daily quite frequently. I know a lot of my friends had like Elite Daily stickers on their laptops, like things of that nature. But that was I was in college and. 2014, 2015. So that was a while ago. I'm curious like how Elite Daily has been, I guess, updated for the times as well. Because I feel like the college student back then and the college student now might be different to certain degrees or on different platforms too, right? Like it's not like Facebook is a primary platform. A lot of, you know, people in college, my sister, for example, on TikTok all the time. I'm curious like how Elite Daily um, is being... Reformed to be on the platforms that that audience is on. I guess do you have like a strong TikTok strategy for this brand that maybe you know Bustle isn't really focusing on as much, or or what's the kind of I guess content output like for Elite Daily now?
2: Yeah, um, it's it's a really interesting challenge. I mean, we know that people at that age are getting all of their news from social media that's what all of our sort of like all the data says and i think the thing that i always encourage the team to do is think about different lanes and which lane we're in i don't think it's our job to become like a a sort of like be creating all the kind of content necessarily that's identical to what they're already seeing on tiktok i think it's our job to provide something different and so you know, I'm a, I've only been in this job a sort of month or so now, so we haven't rolled any any of this out. But on Bustle specifically, I can give you an example. When um, I took over, we really grew our focus on digital culture in terms of, for the Bustle reader, it's kind of like they have a TikTok account, they never post anything, and they see all these weird trends that they don't really understand. <laughs> so we would do stuff like, what does this sound mean? What does pushing P mean? Um And those stories performed really strongly for us and became a really growing category. So I think for Elite Daily, it's like we know that they're on those platforms a lot um, and it's helping us, helping think about the threads that they might be wanting to develop as they move off the platform as well. Um, uh, Rather than sort of all converging on the same ground, I'm keen that we offer sort of something different as well. I mean, I think also like your point about 2014 being very different, times to where we are now we know that um gen z are more anxious than millennials were and we know that they are more interested in stuff around their mental health um like i saw spotify released a big report yesterday where the most popular gen z podcast category is now mental health and i think that's really interesting because we think of like you know, if you think of Gen Z and TikTok, you think of people doing like dance moves and stuff, but actually they're kind of interacting with um, all of these digital platforms in more complex ways. And so I think, you know, mental health is a really interesting category for us to think about for what, you know, what are the challenges acutely to your experience when you're at college? Like, if you go and get a, if you're if if you if you still on your parents' insurance and you have to go to the doctor about something, is that going to show up on your parents' bill? Like all of those kind of questions that you might have specific to that experience. So I think it's kind of taking the, the essential DNA of um, Elite Daily and the things that we care about. So college, like mental health, even like TV and entertainment, but like the personalities behind what who they're seeing on TikTok as well. And providing what they can't see on TikTok, which is more depth. They sort of like lots of experts who have been sort of um, interviewed by a journalist and compiled together rather than just one source. And so I think that's really where we try to offer something different and something beyond what they're
1: seeing on those platforms. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, though, like, is there maybe a a big question around Gen Z as a a whole kind of category of... um, audience but i'm curious if there's like any type of like pipeline issue with getting them to a website versus meeting them on social where they spend a lot of time in general i think you know maybe it was almost a year ago at this point which is crazy but i did a, a guide for digiday on like gen z audiences and you know obviously a big focus of that was their social media consumption but i'm i am curious like have you noticed any kind of I guess, like traction issues with getting younger cohorts to click onto a website? Or have you found that audiences, you know, when you're providing them with that, like additive level of like, you know, the the insights from a psychiatrist or um, elaborating on a trend like that, does that still work with getting them to a website? I think so. Yes. I
2: mean, search still counts, right? I mean, people are still searching stuff. They might be not going to home pages as much as like people in older generations but they still are seeking service where it's relevant. I read a study a couple of months ago that said I think it was that Gen Z prefers much longer search terms to um, millennials like they tend to be more specific and they're more focused on like getting like a a cheap version of something or like a very specific type of how-to and so I think from a service point of view, that's really how we try to anchor what we're trying to do, like what are the specific questions that an 18 year old in Ohio might have about, I don't know, like her new relationship with her, her first relationship with her partner or something like that. Um, and really try to answer those in a specific way, because I think for all of the consumption on, on social, there's, you know, it's very hard to get very specific information necessarily from your feeds in that way and so we're seeing very resilient interest there um and a sort of consistent um a a consistent sort of i don't know how to pull it let me think um a kind of consistent set of concerns as well like you know for all of that for the amount of time we like to you know draw on the differences between millennials and Gen Z and everything, like being a teenager is still being a teenager, right? Like it's, um, and so I think, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot more in common there than there is different, I would say.
1: You mentioned that both Bustle and, um, Elite Daily are kind of focused on the same type of person just at different life stages. Um, I'm curious what that does for a content strategy. Do you find like, you know, republishing content from one to the other site is ever, you know, a good strategy there? Like, I guess, are you working on a way to kind of connect the dots from one site to the other so that that reader follows you, you know, throughout their, you know, aging, I guess, growth, um, maybe is a better way to phrase it. But yeah, how how are the two sites kind of related in the same capacity?
2: We do cross post in the sense that we, we never republish content from one site on the other um for a start google really doesn't like that um so that's not something we do but we if we have like a really big piece of content that's relevant to their audience we would look to share it so bustle yesterday published a mixtape with 17 um the k-pop band and that's something that we would we know that our elite daily audience is also really big into k-pop so we would share that bustle story over there as well Um, but you know even we um, but the way I think of it is that a bustle and Elite Daily should be able to interview the same talent and have like a different series of questions. And so even when we're sort of promoting, you know, a big bustle interview on Elite Daily to their social platforms or vice versa, um, you know, it, it, it should feel relatable, but slightly different, right? Otherwise, what's, what's the point? And so I think really one of my goals for Elite Daily is to really push forward with the, with kind of meeting Gen Z where they are, like, you know, I think millennials are obviously, we think historically, we think of like millennial pink and kind of like their obsession with plants and like a certain type of aesthetic. Whereas a lot of the um, Gen Z meme accounts that I follow and stuff like that, there's kind of like a very anti-aesthetic kind of thread there where, um, you know, anti-aesthetic wellness, anti-aesthetic kind of like approaches to fashion. If it, it can feel a bit like cobbled together, um and so i think even when we're like cross promoting content that might feel relevant we still want each lane to feel distinct
1: yeah so from a leadership perspective i'm really curious how you yourself are balancing that i guess those those goals those missions from an editorial perspective like have you hired you know people to kind of help you maintain that um You know, set of values for each age group, or are you looking to kind of, yeah, I guess from just from a editor's perspective, how do you kind of balance that, um, like looking at the same kind of story, but making sure that the narratives stay straight for each of the each of the brands that you're overseeing?
2: Yeah, it's honestly, it's a it's a work in progress. I's you know, I've been in this world for like a month and a half now, and. I'm a big believer in when you start something new, spending the first good chunk of time listening and learning from people around you about why they're doing things the way they are now before you start bulldozing in with different ideas. And so I've really been on Elite Daily in this sort of information gathering stage still. So really learning about what the approach they they take to news or, or to a particular celebrity and then... Trying to see through right from the origins to the publication of like why they're doing what they're doing. And there's, I've also like already si- seen stuff that I fed back to the bustle team that I'm like, this is brilliant. We should be doing it this way too. Um, and then there will be some like sort of changes down the line where I think, I, you know, where I want to insert myself into the process more to, uh, you know, frame stories in the way that might be a little bit different. Um, but it's, it's honestly, it's a challenge and you just have like, it's, you, there's, you, you I have the great executive editors on both sites who are brilliant leaders and brilliant sort of um strategists who really help bring these brand identities to life but um it's it's like a I find it hard honestly the sort of calendar management of it all and trying to you want to be present for the i've like I was a junior editor once and I remember what it's like when you don't feel like you have any exposure to like what's going on at a higher level and I want to try and give that but it's you know it's like 15 editors on Bustle and probably about 10 on Elite Daily and then uh, an army of um, part-time writers and so really working out how I can be present for all of those people while also inserting myself at the useful points in the process and not getting in the way because we've all had bosses that get in the way (laughs) um, as well so it's it's a challenge and I'm not sure I have an answer in terms of I've nailed it yet. Um, It's very much a work in progress. And I think, you know, finding the people who you trust, like we have brilliant editors on both sites who um, have really like leaned into the sensibility that um, I wanted to develop on Bustle and are now sort of doing it standing on their head, which is wonderful to see. Um, And I'm confident we're going to get there on Elite Daily too, but it's, every week is different I haven't had it's truthfully I've been traveling quite a bit as well for work and so the last few the last month or so no week one week has been the same um but I'm sort of in New York now for a good couple of months and I'm really excited to kind of get in the weeds a bit more um and then try and make some decisions but very much listening and learning first because we've all had managers that do the opposite and it is not fun
1: <laughs> yeah I think we've we've done um, a few different editors uh, series for this podcast, and listening tours are the biggest kind of, I think piece of advice that I hear from editors, like that start especially during a pandemic time because everyone's so scattered and has developed different ways of working in the past couple years that you probably didn't have, you know, set up when you were in an office. And so I feel like that's really, truly a, a big strategy that um, I hear quite a bit recently. Um, and I'm I'm curious, because I, I don't think we established this. How long have you um, been the editor of Bustle and Bustle UK as well? Like, how long have you been in that um, role? So I joined Bustle UK in March 2018.
2: Um, and we launched Bustle UK in May 2018. And then I took the job overseeing Bustle US at the end of 2019 and then moved January 2020 to New York, which was obviously the worst possible timing for someone to move across an ocean on their own. Um, And then so I've been in charge of Bustle US since uh, January 2020. um, And then I took on Elite Daily about
1: a month and a half ago. So a few years established in, yeah, um, is working across time zones difficult at all now or how does it actually maybe help because you are overseeing three brands like to have a a little bit of a buffer of you know five hours there
2: um I mean I'm very close to the UK team because obviously I started there and so many of the team have been there when I was still there and they're brilliant I have a brilliant executive editor there Sam Rogers who does a fantastic job of keeping all the balls in the air so um She'll like bring me problems that need solving, but when she's not been able to find a solution herself, which is ninety five percent of the time, so I'm not really sort of in the weeds on um, on having to sort of like edit stories and such. But um, I love working with the British team because I love that sort of British media sensibility. Um, it's something that I really noticed when I move over here. Moved over here, it's 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 more playful and more kind of. Um, Sarcastic and uh, funny, I think. So I really enjoy like see, <laughs> lurking in their slap channels and seeing about the stories that they're assigning, and um, weighing in. And basically, it keeps me up to date with what's happening in the UK. So when my friends are sharing stuff on WhatsApp, I'm like, I actually know what they're talking about. Um, so I love working across both, honestly. And it's it's a again, it's a challenge, but it's it's um, made a lot easier by having a brilliant team in place.
1: Is the UK content? drastically different from the bustle like u.s content or do you have cross you know publishing there because i know maybe the the type of celebrities you're focusing on or musicians in the uk could be different from the u.s depending um but how similar or separate are those teams so we do take a divide and conquer approach
2: between bustle uk and u.s we um we don't cover the same news, so it's almost we treat the u k offices like a, it's like a London bureau of the same website and so if if they wake up and I don't know if say Meghan and Harry announced they were having another baby, they would pick that up and then the US team wouldn't need to pick that up, so because we'd just share the British story globally. Um and the UK generate the UK team generates an enormous amount of global traffic to their content. I think in part just because they're able to grab sort of juicy news as it's breaking before um, before America wakes up. Um in terms of the actual angles of the coverage, I would say that um Again, the British sensibility is just a little bit, like, more sharp-edged. We're never mean, and that's not what we do, and we're not snarky. But um, I do think that it's a bit more playful um, than American media tends to be. Um, I also think they have a sort of really strong, like, mix of kind of celebrities um, to sort of cover and work with and you know bustle us we're covering a lot there's a lot of ground to cover and i think um you know that can sometimes present a challenge in terms of getting it to it all in like a smart and clever way whereas when the pitch is slightly smaller you can respond better like the uk team had huge success with their um football coverage at the um european football championships last year and they're covering sort of jack Grealish and all the um English football players from the men's team. Um, and so I think they're able to find those like weird, like Twitter stories and run with them in a really smart way.
1: We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back. So another thing I want to talk about is I know that I think the culture and lifestyle brands under BDG have been focusing on a more like high end lux kind of, approach to content. And we've talked about this in the past, like getting big celebrities on the the virtual covers and uh, having some of those interviews that are, you know, really with big Big people who don't normally talk to a lot of press. Um, And I'm curious how that strategy has been going for you because, um, in the coverage I do of BDG somewhat regularly, I know like the events team has been focusing on that, like kind of luxe exclusive, uh, you know, event style. Um, But that also lends itself to high end advertisers too, bringing those into the fold. From a content perspective, I'm curious how. You've been looking at that as a as a strategy for you know the type of content you're putting out, the type of people you're talking to, and if that's something that you're looking to bring over to Elite Daily as well, knowing that Gen Z is a little bit more focused on maybe the the raw kind of side of things or the the less aesthetic, as you put it. Um, yeah, I guess how has that strategy been from a, a content output standpoint?
2: I absolutely love that we do this stuff on Bustle now. I think it's been a huge success. We see masses of traffic to these stories, um, huge amounts of brand engagement. And I think they're really helping us generate brand love and brand familiarity. And I think those are huge assets for any editor-in-chief. Like you, you know, don't want people just like turning up at your website through search and not knowing what website they're on. And I think these profiles have been fantastic ways to insert ourselves in people's feeds and really in a regular way as well so you know what kind of interview bustle would deliver I think we've learned lessons about what kind of talent we should work with and I really um I think for a for a media when you're starting out and you're trying to get access to talent the tendency can just be sort of like what's the like highest calibre of talent that we can get to participate? And there is like still some of that, like really famous people obviously drive a lot of engagement, but um, I've really encouraged the team on Bustle and this is really what I want to push on Elite Daily as well, to think very strategically about who we profile, like who are the people that you and your friends are like, talking about or like are familiar with or you see their name trending on Twitter and you click on it, but you never expect them to see them on the cover of a magazine or in a profile interview. So I think a good example is this year on Bustle, we did Mia Khalifa, who was previously the most, um, I think, the most watched um performer on Pornhub and that profile we we had Charlotte Shane write it who's a brilliant writer um and it the traffic numbers were enormous to it and it's because that's someone who is very familiar to a lot of millennials they know who she is they like sort of know her story but she hasn't been given that thoughtful considered uh treatment in a in an interview and actually the the interview was incredibly revealing and, and like so interesting to hear about, you know, what, what her experience has been like really. Um, and so I think finding subjects like that is really important. We had a similar success on Bustle with, um, Angeli Preston from America's Next Top Model, um, who gave us an interview about her experience and it, it kind of broke news everywhere about how she was crowned the winner and then had it taken off of her when they found out that she'd done sex work. Um, so I think those kind of stories, again, it's not like we're just out there trying to get like a very famous person with 500 million followers to sit down for an interview with us. It's like, is there a really good story there? And so I think for Elite Daily, it's really finding those people for the Gen Z audience. Like, who who are the people that they, I don't know, what they saw on have been seeing on TikTok for like two two or three years? And actually all them and their friends are always like sharing their videos in there text change and being like oh my god have you seen this one but no one's really sat down and given them that treatment and that's really what i was getting at when we were talking earlier about how how do you compete really with everyone being on social media and it's like will you offer something different like they already these people are already creating content for them on tiktok or wherever and so taking them out of that environment and but relate but sort of uh, still having that connection but providing something different i think is a uh, really smart way to engage our audience and the talent and elevated execution of those stories, I think has really um, moved the needle for us as a brand on Bustle. And I'm really excited to find those voices and those people and those stories to tell on Elite Daily, because I think it can have a really meaningful, um, like sort of change for us. And I especially just want to try and drive that within the college um, sector and finding those people that are like, in the UK, we call them big names on campus, Beanox, which is very obnoxiously titled <laughs> and typically was like when I was at university was like rugby players. But um I want to know, like, who are the sort of like change makers on American campuses that are like widely known and widely respected? Um, and some of them might be athletes, some of them, most of them probably won't be. Um, and I, like finding ways to tell their stories, I think would be a smart way for us to move the needle there too.
1: Yeah. Do you plan on doing a similar kind of uh, digital cover style? You reference the uh, Mia Khalifa cover. Like that one, it looks like a magazine cover on the website, looking at it now. Um, and I know that that's a regular uh, style that you do. Is that something that you want to kind of replicate or do something similarly to on Elite Daily?
2: Yeah, we actually do them on Elite Daily already. So our most recent one was Iman Vellani, who is the um, lead in the new Ms. Marvel. Um, And she's fantastic and gave such a a sort of lively um, interview and in a way that like only someone who's a like teenager can. Um, And it was a really, and that went around the internet for all the sort of like big Marvel um, Cinematic Universe fan. So we we do produce content like that on Elite Daily, but I am definitely want to find more ways into the sort of profile, like what we did with Mia or Anjali, um, or, you know, we recently did Laura uh, Wasser, who is Kim's divorce attorney on Bustle. Those kind of people who are like really at the heart of like news stories that our readers care about, but aren't necessarily like famous in a kind of, like Courtney Kardashian way, like who we did for Bustle. I mean, those stories have a place, and we absolutely want to do those too. But I think finding those other less familiar ones is really where we want to push on Elite Daily too.
1: Yeah, that's really fascinating because you're right. I think there's this trap that can befall some publications, magazines, maybe more specifically that you know it's a cover story, a profile, but there's it reads like there's a lot of press influence on it, right? Like it's part of a press circuit. It's part of a, um, you know, maybe there's a big movie premiere coming up and it feels stale when you're reading it. And I know that there's some strategies that like, you know, maybe a, another actor is writing about that actor or something of that nature to try and freshen it up. But I still feel like there's a very scripted element to it sometimes. So it's interesting that you're taking this approach to make it feel more, natural. Like you're right. I don't think like Mia Khalifa would be on would have been prioritized as a, a cover star for, you know, another magazine because of her background. But she has a, a very fascinating story that I only kind of realized following her on TikTok. Like that's not exactly. a person I would typically, you know, follow or know who it is. But it's a very interesting approach.
2: Yeah, and it's honestly like we respect the press tours, like we happily participate in them and get time with talent when we can. But they do have their limitations. Like if someone sat in a room giving eight interviews in 15 minute increments, they start to say the same things very quickly. And so one, one of the ways that I've already started to insert myself on Elite Daily is working with editors at all levels on their questions for celebrities and really helping them to like not just ask the same question that every other outlet is going to ask because then you do just end up with the same circle of information and on the internet especially like you you have to you have to provide more than that um, and that kind of goes back to my like biggest overarching thing that I was taught earlier in my career um, when I was an intern and also when I was at Vanity Fair it's just like it can't be boring and I think that that is that is something that I keep in mind every single time we're assigning something, every time I'm editing something, if you just like, if your eyes drift away to like pick up your phone or like respond to an email, I'm like, it's, it's boring then. And so, and that's not to say that, you know, I think when you say that some people think that that means that you want the most salacious, like subject matter possible. And that's really not it. Like I love the London Review of Books. That's one of my favorite like magazines to subscribe to. And they have stories, are like, I don't know. Read like ten thousand words about like bird migration or something because <laughs> it's just it's very brilliantly put together and it's entertaining. And I think that having that bar for all content is a good reminder. Um, and then thinking about that through the celebrity lens is like really trying to find those people with those stories that um, aren't boring, right? And so that then helps you go to the next go to the next level. And then with more established talent, I think you know building like a strong relationship so you can still get that access as well and like help tell those stories is important and I don't want to discount that as part of our strategy because that is important too.
1: And you mentioned kind of working with writers um to find the I guess work on the questions that they ask in a in an interview do you have like a I don't know any like strategies for that or like any you know tips that you typically like start with when you're working through that process because I feel like you've been doing this for quite some time I'm, I'm curious like if you have uh you know something that you typically advise a, a writer to to think about when they're doing that
2: I think it's it, it really goes back to the most basic like what are you interested in like what are you really interested in not what has the like email from the publicist told you that they're going to talk about you've got you will ask them about that and obviously we respect that and we'll include that but what do you really want to know and the other thing I always tell writers to do is like go to Google the name and then go to the like most recent. What's the most recent news that's been written about this person? Like, what are they really um what are what are people actually curious to know about them? And then sometimes if you ask a question related to something that's happened recently, other people won't have asked that. So you're more likely to get something exclusive um, but generally, I mean, I have a, a a WhatsApp group with my high school friends who I've known since I was eleven and they are like my research group. Um they're, because they're just they like live all sorts of different lives. They live all over the, the UK and I have a similar group in America too and you know they are sort of like one of them works in HR another one works like selling houses like and I, when I, I ask them like what they're interested in from a certain person that to me is a really good barometer of like what you know what what real people want to know because i think i mean it's such a, it is a cliche but you just have to get out of that like new york or la bubble of what people care about i think especially because for both bustle and elite daily like we are very happy and very eager and feel very sort of honored to speak to people beyond that you know we're not a bicoastal publication we really um want to speak to women all over America whether they're at college or whether they're like maybe having their first baby Um, and I think that's a huge honor and I feel very passionate about that. I grew up in Birmingham in the UK which is you know often called the a not nice place to grow up but I loved it and um, I feel very like passionate about like creating content that resonates with women all over the US and not just in, um, in New York. And so I think that's part of it too, like finding the questions, like talking to people outside of your like, you know, Manhattan or Brooklyn circles.
1: Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious, like how broadly spread out are your, I guess, teams at both Bustle and Elite Daily? Um, Do you, well, I guess, are you guys like back in the office on a regular cadence or do you still have like a very uh, spread out staff? Because I know like for us, we... I think like half of our, our staff just dispersed to like 18 different states over the pandemic. Um, is that something that you still have kind of in place or is everyone really centrally located?
2: No, we, we're very spread still. We do, uh, I go into the office two days a week um, because I would go mad in my apartment on my own otherwise. Um, and, but we do have a team that's spread all over. We kind of always have because of our part-time writers who can who mm-hmm. have always worked remotely and can work from anywhere. Um, but we do have editors that have you know gone and I, I think on Elite Daily we have quite a lot of editors in Chicago which is um, interesting and feels like a, you know that, that sort of like midwestern 20 um, something girl I feel like is often in memes and, and feels like a good fit for our audience to have like a foothold there um, but they are spread from all over and um, I do think that brings like a, a, a unique value to our content as well like it's because there's lots of different experiences that you have like we might get obsessed with like how to ride a crowded subway in like in rush hour whereas like for most of America they're driving in their car and like listening to a podcast so they're much more interested in like what podcast you can listen to on a 30-minute journey so I think trying to make making sure we have staff who can help us think and ideate around those things is important.
1: Yeah, got it. So we talked a lot about like the written content, the website. I'm curious about um, other media formats and uh, products that you might be like launching. Um, I think video probably comes into play from time to time. But I'm curious, like, You know, are you, uh, Bustle recently launched a newsletter, um, so that's one product we could talk about. But I'm curious, like, are you exploring other things like, you know, podcasting or um, leaning further into like events or anything like that? Like, what are some other kind of multimedia expansions of both Bustle and Elite Daily that you're kind of eyeing right now?
2: yeah so um like you said we have newsletters now for both the bustle one we launched last september and has been enormously successful stephanie who oversees it um has done a great job and we won a webby for it um i think we're actually shortlisted for a digiday award for it as well um and so we we found that a great way to kind of build that brand love and user loyalty and i think when i think about brand extensions that really has to be the goal um And it sounds obvious, but being really clear sighted about why are you extending the brand into these things is so important. Like we saw all those brands, like everyone go into video for a while and it's like you, what's the purpose? Like, why are you in those spaces? Like, what are you guys offering that other brands can't? And so one of the slides that I have in all the brand books that I make is, our readers media diet and so like what podcasts do we think our readers listening to what like tv shows are they watching where are they getting their like hard news from um and then where can we like fit into those gaps and so tiktok is big for both bustle and elite daily i think on elite daily we have 730,000 followers and um 138 million likes and bustle is actually a bit bigger at the moment 2.7 million followers Um, and we are like sort of developing those audience, um, those audiences. We've also seen, um, on Bustle in particular, enormous growth on Instagram in the last couple of years. So in 2021, we came off an 18% increase, we're already 11% up in followers, um, in 2022. And that's really since we began like diversifying our feed and including more of the, um, content that we're producing, um, on site into that feed, which is great to see. And then I think beyond that experiential is a big area of development for our company, for BDG, um, thus far, we've had, um, Nylon at Coachella and the Zoe Report as well. Um, and I think next year is Bustle's 10 year anniversary. So, um, one of the things that I'm working on at the moment is dreaming up what we want to do for that, that can feel like a really big, um, big reader moment and a big celebration but again my first question with all these things is you know I I kind of tried to interrogate it in quite a harsh way like my parents would to me when I was younger about anything like why um why are you doing it why now and um I think that there are really it's I want to build more community with our audiences so that for me is the why um so, I think a 10 year anniversary event. We also um, recently held an event um, in uh, New York with the cast of POTUS on Broadway. Um, so, Emma Rosenbloom, our um, chief content officer, and Tina Fay um, hosted a breakfast. And we're also in celebration of Rachel Dratch, who's in the play, who's going to feature in Bustle's 28 series, which is one of our top performing, most successful franchises where we talk to very successful women about their lives at 28. Um, and you know it's not really a spoiler alert but very few of them have it figured out at 28 which is always reassuring um but thinking about ways that we can bring that into because because I've seen that the service that provides our reader is this kind of reassuring uplifting oh thank god i'm not the only one who didn't know what i'm doing at 28 or doesn't know what I'm doing feeling way finding ways to bring that in real life i think is really exciting and that to me again is the why of why we would do that so I think trying to do more stuff like that and then elite daily I have some ideas but it's unlike you know a month in I feel like I need to let them bake a little bit longer before I <laughs> um before I go you know go on record as that I'm, like, I'm going to definitely do them but I do think I'm very very interested in college stuff I would love to do like a college essay writing competition and things like that and really find ways to help spotlight because I love stuff like that when I was um you know at university. So finding ways that we can have more of a presence in those communities is important to me through other channels as well.
1: Yeah. And speaking of that, did, was Elite Daily one of the publications, I'm trying to remember back to my college days, it's been a few years to be fair, but was, was it one of the publications that had like uh, college representatives or like contributors maybe at the time, or that, that might've been another publisher. There was a few that had that kind of as a strategy, but Definitely, I think at least maybe it was more internships that people had. I just remember a lot of my friends wanting to or contributing to Elite Daily in some like some way at back in the day. Um, yeah.
2: Well, I think there's also there's a, there's a difference between like it being written by and powered for gen like by like people at college and. You know, sometimes I think, especially when it comes to the more serious, like, advicey elements, I don't want to shy away from us being, like, a bit of a big sister in those moments, too. And, um, you know, it, I, I, like, really respected the authority of those magazines when I was younger, of, like, when I had a subscription to... I don't know, I can't even remember what they were called in the UK when I was like 14, and I didn't think it was written by 14-year-olds, and I was kind of glad it wasn't. So yeah. I think, you know, there's there's like different notes to it all as well where you want to be relevant, but I also, you know, want to provide what they maybe don't have within their friendship groups.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so you you referenced like the question of why are we doing this a couple times. How are you, you know, hearing from audiences? How are you kind of getting that like – that feedback from them of what they want, what they are looking for, is it mostly by like measuring traffic or do you do any kind of like surveying of this, of the people that you're targeting recently um, for the different brands? Like, how are you, you know, trying to answer that, that why from an audience perspective?
2: We're really lucky that we have a like fantastic research research division within BDG headed up by Jesse Tarlov. Um and she produces an annual um report about Gen Z and millennial behaviour, and so her most recent one, the Great Progression, um is, I mean it's it, it's it's fascinating and there's so much like detail to it in terms of um the like learnings around, you know, sixty four percent of Gen Zs and young millennials prefer an honesty to cancel culture, which is really interesting. So a lot of the to do that they do a big survey but they also interview a lot of people on the ground and so we get these really um like key insights and then also you know I do try to make sure that I'm talking to our readers often like not necessarily um I off you know literally stalking people on the internet but like people who are in our demo and i um, really trying to rinse them for ideas which we all do um and I love lurking on our Instagram posts in the comments. I think seeing what people are saying is really a valuable way to get that kind of um, insight. But it, there is also some element of, you know, as much as you want to see what they're asking for, there are some times where you have to stick your head out and be like, no one's asking for this, but I really think they'd like it. Um, and that's the kind of leadership side of it as well, right? Where you have to um, sometimes come up with no, that something that no one knows that they want yet. Um, and that I think is the most exciting part of being an editor. And it's the sort of the part of being an editor that I started out my career with, where, you know, when I was in print, you don't, you don't have that digital feedback. And so coming up with story ideas was really like being out and about, observing, like lurking, listening in bathrooms at events and being like, oh, what's everyone talking about? Is everyone talking about that person? Okay. Maybe everyone, there's a story there. Um, and that's sort of like, Old fashioned, like editor intuition always comes into play as well.
1: And final question, I am curious, like how audience growth has looked over the past maybe half year or even, you know, I guess, couple years, too, because the pandemic was really great for traffic in some regards. But I'm curious, like what you're seeing from a, a growth standpoint and what you maybe are hoping for by the end of this year.
2: Yeah we're starting to um, we've been pretty steady honestly I think um, my main goal I'm not given traffic goals my goals are kind of um, around like that brand love and brand familiarity and brand like um, sort of consistency and enthusiasm and so our traffic has been steady and consistent and I think I'm I feel very lucky to be at a company that doesn't Fetishize kind of growth for growth's sake, um, I think we are really intentional about how our readers are. We're really intentional about our market and speaking to them in the smartest way. And so when I think about growth for the rest of the year, I'm thinking about those ways to build community with our readers, those ways to like grow engagement on social media, to um, to sort of like find those points of connection that no one else has because you know tr- traffic data can only tell you so much right and so that's kind of how i think about when i think about the goals for the end of this year it's really having more of those stories that when i go on twitter i see people like you know tagging their friends in and sharing and really starting conversation that to me has been the biggest growth on bustle and the most exciting thing to see and I'm, like, grateful to be a company that kind of values that so much as well. Um, And so goals for the rest of the year are really keeping us at the heart of conversation, you know, keeping traffic steady, making sure that we're continuing to engage all of our audiences on different platforms. And then, you know, finding more ways now the world is open to meet our readers in real life. I'm so excited. I want to do like a grand tour of America in my head where I'm like um i i will not be doing a grand tour of america sadly unless i get a much bigger budget overnight but um one can dream um yeah. but yeah
1: well thank you so much for coming on and and going through all of this with like it's fascinating hearing how you're like leading through all of this and how you're you know viewing this as a editor in chief who's been doing this you know been in this role for such a you know a long amount of time but you've been adding new brands to it it's very it's it's a very interesting conversation thank you so much yeah. for taking the time
2: no my pleasure thank you so much and i very excited to listen
1: and thank you for listening to the digiday podcast we'll be back next week with another episode